as you know, 60% of first-time donors don't give again to the same organization. Yeah. Oh. Every year, nonprofits have to create 60% more people just to basically New. tread water. And that's crazy. Yeah. So why in all of these years of doing it this way, it's been done this way for like a hundred years, why nobody has said, this is a significant problem. We can't just yeah. say, let's raise more money. We have to say, why is that happening? And if they look at that, they will realize it's because you're not treating the people like humans and you're not listening to them. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hello, podcast community. I'm thrilled that you're here with me today. This is Lindsay, your host of Creating Community for Good podcast. Today's guest is Lisa Greer. I'm grateful to Jen Risher for having introduced us. And I have to admit that I have been totally engrossed in Lisa's new book. It's called Philanthropy Revolution, How to Inspire Donors, Build Relationships, and Make a Difference. I recommend it to literally every fundraiser, donor, board member out there. It's a great representation of the statistical challenges that we face in the sector of fundraising. There are 1.5 million nonprofits in the U.S. and we're about to approach the greatest wealth transfer in the history of humankind while we're in the middle of a crisis, a world, worldwide crisis. So I think that this book is a valuable read because of the stats that she shares, but even more so the personal stories, the anecdotes, the interviews that she's captured and the reframing. So there's a lot of back and forth around in the book that she represents around, here's what I hear when a fundraiser says X, Y, Z, and here's what I would like to hear or here's how it makes me feel. So if you know me at all, you know that a lot of my training is on high value questions, how to get to know a donor better and how to build long lasting relationships, whether you're in fundraising or not. If you are in fundraising and you are looking to advance your career and figure out how to build better relationships, this book is for you. And while my podcast is not about book promotions, I just feel so strongly convicted in what she's sharing and I want to support it. We talk a lot about like, what is her personal inspiration and motivation for this book? Why does she care about a so-called revolution of philanthropy? I was curious to know a little bit more about what inspires her more. What does it look like when we have a win-win? What are some of the scenarios in which she could reframe and ask? If you're about to do a solicitation, how do you frame that? How do you tee it up and manage expectations? We have a nice and frank conversation where we really look at the industry at large and wanting to pay homage and respect to both donors, fundraisers, managers, everything in between, and also guide it towards a more inclusive, positive, higher value relationship, less transactions and more thinking holistically about how do we really shape the world and the impact that we're trying to have on the world, either through our philanthropy or through our service as nonprofit professionals. So hats off to all of you who have been listening to this podcast. If you are not a fundraiser, I still think that there might be some valuable nuggets in here just to hear the dialogue about what is happening in the sector and how can you deepen your relationships with your friends, regardless of whether you're in fundraising or not. So those are my thoughts. Let me know what you think and welcome to Creating Community for Good. Let's go. I have to ask you, like, so you've done a lot of interviews. Have you done many interviews or are you just getting started? Oh, no, I've done maybe 20 or 25, something like that. Not 39, okay. but I'm getting Not close. 39. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll be in a race then. What's the number one thing that you haven't been asked that you wish you had been asked at the beginning of an interview or at the end? What's been missing in your interviews? I think, well, I mean, I, I think I might've been asked this once, but I, I, I'd like to be asked this more often, which is, and I'm not even sure I might've made that up. But I think the, you know, the one, one takeaway, like if I'm getting started, what's the most important? What do I need to do first? Like, how do I get started? This is a whole bunch of change. How do I get started doing this? Yeah. No one's ever asked me that. I love that. So what would you respond? Like, what would be your, here's your one to five step actionables, your tactics that you can do to start? Well, yeah, I mean, the one step is look at the other person as a human being. That's the most important. And it's all through the book. And, and really, and don't take, in fact, I'm starting a new thing called on Monday, that's going to be a weekly tip. 
So we're doing like nice. really short tips. And so nice. I just have been, gave, gave my, my, my publicist a bunch of them. But I think that to realize that everybody gives something, even yeah. if they don't see themselves as a philanthropist, because that's such a big word, but mm-hmm. everybody has given something. And I don't think I'd be able to find somebody who never gave anybody anything. I, I yeah. just, I, I think it's something people do. And so as soon as we recognize that, because usually the, the fundraisers will say to me, well, I'm not a donor, so I don't really know. It's like, no, actually, I think you are a donor. You're just not a donor, you know, like big D donor, I guess. So I think that's the most important thing is see yourself as that person and not making it some alien. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, I like how, so Jen Risher connected us. And when I interviewed her, she said, you know, I'm just like everybody else. And I came into wealth as seven out of 10 high net wealth individuals do or ultra high net wealth. And I have feelings that get hurt just as much as you do. And I have my hopes and my pride and my fears and, you know, my aspirations just like you do. And it was such a great moment of sincerity. I almost got teared up at some point when she was talking because you could just really tell she's such a heartfelt person. And I think the message was so loud and clear that, that donors and fundraisers are both just human doing the best that they can trying to make a difference. That's right. And the idea that that you have an IPO and you have a bunch of money all of a sudden, or however you get it, there's a sale yeah. of company or whatever happens. And that you are literally going to turn, I mean, my, my, you know, some of my friends said, and I was actually my concern too, is am I going to turn into a really horrible person? Like yeah. overnight, that's just crazy. Like yeah. who's going to do that? No one's going to yeah. turn into a crazy person overnight. So like, I don't even know why we think that part of that reason is I think other people think that of us. They yeah. think that, that if you have money, you have turned into something else into like yeah. some, you're now living on a different planet and you looked at, and you're, you're just, yeah. even if you look the same, you're different inside. And that's yeah. like, that's, that's not logical. Yeah. Well, and you said in your book, like, it's important that we don't tolerate those jerks who are, you know, those yeah. donors who are like putting all sorts of demands and inappropriate comments and you know, sexual harassment is actually a big topic that I've been exploring with from donors to nonprofits or employees. It's a whole, it's a totally different topic that I don't want to get sidelined into. But the point is to say, you know, you mirrored some language saying something like, hey, we can't get our job done when you're acting like this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've seen a lot of inappropriate behavior too. And the idea that you know, I think I put in the book, I, I don't know if I got it edited out, but I think it's still there about that, that screaming is not tolerated. That when I right. became out of exactly. our synagogue and they said, and I, 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 there was this conversation I had with a good friend who was running one of the senior people. And she said, I said, well, you just connected me with this, you know, other donor for us to have lunch. And she just started screaming. And I said, I don't understand. Like, I don't oh, want to wow. talk to her anymore. And she says, oh yeah, she does that all the time. And I said, well, that's not okay. I said, why do you put up with it? And she said, because she's a big donor. Yeah. Not okay. And that just reinforces bad behavior. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and then you can't have the tail wagging the dog. There's the other side where there's a donor who's like, you know, I want to build I, I've seen this in real life, but in your book too, just to reference back to it, a garden, what was it, a meditative garden? And there's right. no staff to actually right. tend to it. Right, right, right. So how important is that donation then if you're actually going to create more you costs? You're ready to say no. And you have to, and you know what? I think the more that we say no, the more that those donors will, you know, if you just give into them all the time, it's it's reinforcing behavior. They'll just keep saying, oh, I could do that. I guess that's the way it's done. But if you just say, no, you know what? That doesn't work with what our mission is. And financially, and then I think that most donors who usually have some sort of business sense, but not always, will actually respect that. And yeah. I think they're more likely to give you money then because someone said to them, not okay. But yeah. but it, this sort of, like I said, the pussyfooting around stuff and the sucking up to people kind of thing is just not, it's not helpful, but it also tells people that that behavior is part of the game and it's not. And we need to just say, no, it's not okay. Yeah. You know, I like, I'm glad that you brought that up because I had a friend who said, I hate philanthropy. The whole thing is corrupt. You know, there are all these, did you see the mile high or what was it? The, the, was it United Way or Salvation Army that was the CEO paid a million dollars and then there are all these scandals and it's just a safe haven for wealthy people to throw their money and do good. And that person was so negative, but I I will say it's not the only person I've run into like that. So if you were on the other end of that conversation, what would you have said? I mean, what do you think about like, how is the sector represented and how do you fight for that? Yeah. Or do you? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to answer that in a very succinct way, which is one of my tips that's coming up, which is, 
I think that the word philanthropy connotes a lot of bad stuff. So I am suggesting that people now, instead of saying you're a philanthropist, if someone wants to hear that, great. But if they're kind of getting started and that's kind of off-putting and seems big and alien, then you, I think I just say an investor. I, I, you know, yeah. I'd like, we'd like you to invest in our in our future, in our mission. No one ever says that. They all say nothing, nothing, nothing. And then, oh, could we get, you know, can you, can you give to us? We talked to you about a donation. And I think, you know, the investment is people understand that a lot more. And and it kind of takes that other piece about people doing bad things with your money. It just yeah. negates it. Well, I just did a training the other day where I said the same thing in my pitch. I said, will you invest in our program at $50,000 for the next three years? That was my spiel. And my nonprofit on the other side, that was my client said, well, I don't like the term investor because, you know, we are not, you know, we're talking to financial people and they're going to get really confused about what we're talking about here. So, but I like the term investor. You seem to like it a lot too. I I guess I would have said, why do you, you know, what what is it about that term that you don't like? Because, and I'm guessing the answer is typically going to be, well, if you invest, it connotes that there's going to be a return. Right. And then the answer is, there is. Is this a return? <laughs> yes, this is like a real life return. It's a real so life, it's hundred X. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm, I'm suggesting that people do more of that. Stick with uh, it. I think that the philanthropy thing just can scare the heck out of, especially new donors, especially now that there's all these people that have donated for the first time because of COVID. Yeah. And, you know, we need to like take those people by the hand and really say it's okay and not throw names at them and not throw things yeah. that they're going to change. It's like, you've just invested in the future of this organization and, and helping us to, to, to make this mission a reality. And yeah. people get that. Yeah. And welcome. And thank you. And let's grow this relationship. So let's back up, Lisa. <laughs> tell me a little bit about you. Tell me about the Philanthropy Revolution book that I just finished and I love, and I'm so glad that you've written it. And just frame us a bit you know, for the audience who's listening. I didn't have money, didn't grow up with money, and I found myself all of a sudden with money. And and yes, I did use the term philanthropist. And, and I realized that I was being this person who all of a sudden was getting all these emails and and mail and you should give and people treating me differently, like even people I'd known for years. And I, I don't understand that. And it would just make me angry. And so every morning for, after a couple of years of this, every morning I would be driving to some sort of breakfast meeting or taking my kids to school or whatever it was. And I would call a friend and I would say, I had a couple of friends who were willing to do this, people who also work with nonprofits or donors. And and I would just rant and I would say, yeah. you won't believe this email I got this morning. It was in five different colors and four different fonts. Or you won't believe this email that said it was to, to Mr. Greer. Or, or, or these people had the audacity to like leave a phone message and say, say, hi, I'm from an organization you don't know, but I want to talk to you about giving to us and you know, call us back. Like, what? Like, I don't get I'm that. I'm dying to call you back. And, Every day there was something. And I kept thinking, Gosh. they're going to be done by the end of the first week. But every day there was another crazy thing, you know, or, you know, this new thing that I'm, I'm seeing where, where people send you an invoice for money because you gave somebody money 10 years ago. And then all of a sudden you get something and it says invoice. An invoice? Oh, yeah. Sometimes no. it's a new thing. So you actually stamp it. So it looks like an invoice and it says due or past due or, and it looks like an invoice. And it's, it's literally they think you're just going to forget that you never donated to that group and you're just and it has a check boxes with the dollar amounts that they want you to give and my check boxes were really weird and so it was like $515 $1030 and i was like why are those numbers there so i had a friend who i knew who knew somebody at the organization and and i said i don't understand why i got this i don't think it's okay to assume that i'm going to give to you and i don't remember ever giving to you so they did some research and found out that about four, five, six years before I had given to the organization $500. So oh their goodness. computer system decided that they thought it was 515, which would have been the same because the $15 would have been the service charge. So they actually ended up with that. So, so when they paid whatever the credit card charge or whatever, it was my 500 became 515. And so they just took that same number and the 1030 was, won't you double your thing? And it was here. And I thought, wait, there's no option for a hundred dollars. And, and it's a bill. And Am I supposed to remember it? I didn't give to you. And so I wrote an article about it being like gaslighting. It was like, like, well, don't you remember that you're, this is an annual thing you do? And it's like, no, I don't. So 
those kinds of things made me insane. And so after oh, wow. about three or four months though, of calling my friends in the morning and they would like get ready for this call of whatever I'm going <laughs> to And I thought this just isn't fair. And so I started doing it. I said, I'm sorry, I won't do this anymore. I'll call you with good news. And so I started doing it into my yeah. phone. And so I would just have it recorded. And then after I recorded for a while and listened to them, I thought, well, that's not helpful. It's just sitting on my phone. So why don't I do something with it? Why don't I figure out some way of using that information for good, like to be helpful. And so that turned into a whole bunch of those was, you know what, I aren't other people talking, aren't other donors talking about how they feel about those kinds of things. Who People who've been doing this for ages, I've only been doing it for a few years. And I looked and nobody had written a book from a donor's perspective. And I thought, wait a minute. And so I asked a few people actually at a couple of publications. And I said, when you're sitting in like a writer's room and you're writing about philanthropy and fundraising, how do you get the who do you get the other side from? Is there somebody who represents the donors who's sitting yeah. in the writing room? And the answer I got was, we don't. And I said, what do you mean you don't? And they said, we don't have any donors because donors don't talk. And then oh I thought, gosh. okay, I looked at myself. I said, I don't work for a company. I don't owe anyone anything. I just like to help the world. And you know yeah. what? Somebody has to break from that and be the donor who speaks because otherwise it'll never get better. And, yeah. and when I asked a few people I knew who were donors, I said, what happens when you get those crazy phone calls like I get? And they said, well, we just don't let it get us upset. We just hang up the phone. And I said, but then no one learns from that. And so that's what I'm doing. I love it. I love it. I'm so glad. And that's part of my mission as a podcaster. I'm So I'm a consultant to nonprofits. Yep. I help them with major gifts and relationship management, communications. But my essence, it's not about transactional fundraising. My, my backbone is all about capital campaigns. So those are like really big efforts, big multi-year investments. And what I learned from my experience, I guess since 2009 that I, I started, is that these are just humans, but they're also very shrewd humans, you know, especially the major gift individuals. They've probably come into wealth, even if it's just inherited, let alone an IPO or business, something that they've earned. These people are really thinking about philanthropy strategically and not gut reaction, not reactivity and not just like a quick impulse, not an impulse not, buy. Not because you said you really liked my jewelry. <laughs> yeah. It's just not going to fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And I definitely have found that in my service and coaching nonprofits, it's it's really about shining the light on what are the perspectives of donors. And so that's where I got the idea of this podcast is let's just open the conversation. So let's have fundraisers on the podcast. Let's have donors on the podcast. Let's have foundations, let's have corporate people, let's have, you know, volunteers, young, old. And I'm just trying to create a space for us to just hear their perspectives in a casual and like conversational way. We can hopefully take a nugget out, but you know, like you said, it's just like, let's all start talking. It's not so much song and dance. Let's yeah. let's communicate let's like humans do. Fluff and let's just talk about it. And also yeah. how we feel. That was a really yeah the book is how does a donor feel when you say these things? How does, yeah. and how does a fundraiser feel when a donor says to them, I demand that you change your mission and everything that you're doing because I'm have money and you don't. And, yeah. and that's not okay either. So I think no. that feeling part, it sounds a little trite, but, but I think it's really important. Yeah, I do too. So in the book, I read a lot of reframing that I shared already. And I love that you did a lot of expectation setting. So what you're saying is why don't you as a fundraiser say to the donor, here's what I'm trying to get out of this meeting. I want to check in on you. I do care about you. And also I want to share what we're doing with your funds or with our mission. And I want to tell you about a new program or explore, you know, philanthropic alignment with what we've been doing and what your intentions are for 2021, 2020 whatever. So tell me about a time when you are actually going to be ready to get solicited. So what's the best way for a fundraiser to tee you up when it is just a straight up solicitation? Because right. I, you did a lot of modeling to say, this is not a solicitation. I really want to check in with you. And right. that was good to like ease the nerves of the donors. That's good for cultivation and briefing. But how about ask time? What's yeah. the best way to tee up a donor for an ask? Okay. So uh, believe it or not, I was already asked by a new organization today. Luckily they had found me because, well, you know, they heard I was a donor, but and they said I was new to the list. I wasn't on the list. And so they thought that they should, they should reach out to they me. They even said list. That's so funny. I just wouldn't be so like, it's like, on the list. like you're, you're new on the list. And it's you're it's, new it's, on my a little bit roster creepy. here. It's like, yeah, I'm yeah, a yeah, human. Yeah. <laughs> How did yeah, I come yeah, in? Yeah. It's, it's weird. So yeah. they started off and they said, we, you know, we just wanted to do this call. Actually, you asked about the preparation. So I think yeah. Just do too. Like to just so, do the modeling and framing for like how right. to prepare so your donor was, to so, be asked. So they sent me a thing and they said, we, you know, we, we, we've, we've 
heard about you and read your blog or whatever it was. Yeah. And we want to tell you about this organization. And we know we know a lot of the same people. We'd love to tell you more about it. And so I said, okay. And I sent something and I said, wait a minute, do you still, don't you get money from one of these donor advised funds that were uh, actually a bigger foundation fund that we're part of? Do you also, and they said, no, this was all through email. And I got the feeling okay. that they were going to say, I want to tell you all about our organization. And then they were going to say, and we want money from you. And I thought, I, I want to manage their expectations. I was in sales for years. And I think it's important right. to be clear about what you're doing. So they, so we had the call this morning yeah. because they read the book or whatever. They said, we want to just start off by telling you that we want to tell you about our organization. And then we would like to talk to you about giving us a donation. So, and it was funny. They were nice. a little bit clumsy with it because okay. I we're used to doing it's that. Robotic. People don't do yeah. that. But I thought, okay, but I, on my hand, in terms of preparation for it, had written on my calendar in big giant le- like capital letters, do not under any circumstances give them money and tell them <laughs> to stop asking for it. Make this only a meet and greet. And it was just to remind myself, like, do not, because I'm really not good at saying no. And um, for so any, any fundraisers out there, sorry, I just gave you that. So just please don't use that against me. <laughs> so they got on the phone, they said that. And I said, I just went right into it. I said, I am not, this is not a conversation I'm happy to discuss with you. I'm happy to talk about who we know and ways I can help you, but there is not going to be a financial contribution here. Mm. And they said, oh, okay. Oh, I said, but how did you find me originally anyway? And they said, because we've been following you for about a year. And I have to tell you, that kind of creeped me out a little bit. It was like, you know, your name's been out there as this mysterious new person with money. And so I felt like there was kind of a target on my back, you know, yeah. the big dollar sign. So that was a little bit creepy, but they were lovely. And we ended up having a nice conversation and they didn't ask me. And I, by the way, have had conversations with people where I started out that way and say, this is not going to be, I, I contribute in a different way to your sector. And I, this is not going to be that. And they say, okay. And multiple times, actually, oh I've had them still ask at the end of the conversation. And that is kind of like, we probably don't talk to that organization anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, that's good. I like that expectation setting. You're pretty serious. I found that your book was, it was not only insightful, but it was also... I'm not, I'm looking for the right word, but it was, it was serious. It was like, this is my passion, but not only a passion, but it's, it's sort of like my job. I found that yeah. to be, that's yeah. what came through to me. Yeah. Like yeah. you're so a professional was- philanthropist. You advance society right. as like, not only a hobby, but you, you think about it all day. Yes, absolutely. My vision for the book was to be something that would be, well, when we first started, Obviously, I'm doing the book because I want to have something that shares this information from a donor perspective. But I hired a journalist to be my partner in this, to actually be really more of a ghostwriter at the beginning. And she was going to, because I knew I wanted to do a bunch of interviews. And so I thought, I'll get a really good journalist who they they can do those interviews and we can then pull together all that information which was you know, a really great thing, but we put together the list and she said, I'll put together my list, you put together your, put together a list in, in who we wanted to interview. And the very first person we wanted to interview was somebody who teaches philanthropy here in Los Angeles, mm. who's a very, very highly regarded guy who I've known for a while. And I think he's really nice and it was nice. great. And I said, let's make that the first one. And she knew that guy and she said, great, let's make him the first one. When he heard, because he still teaches philanthropy, and when he heard that this was going to be a book that we wanted to use to change the way philanthropy is taught, yeah, one of the things that we, we were saying a lot at the beginning, he refused to talk to us. No. And yeah, still has. It's incredible. And nobody else, we interviewed about 100 people, nobody else has had ever, ever refused to talk to us. But oh, interesting. You know, whether they agreed or didn't agree, but he didn't. So he was clearly, that, that kind of just said to me, I'm doing the right thing because he was clearly threatened by somebody saying, it's time to change the way that you teach this. That's what I was just wondering too, because as I was listening to it, I'm dreaming of what my business is going to do in the right. future. I'm a, like I've said, you know, over again, I'm a consultant. I work for nonprofits, but I've also been thinking about how do I have a greater impact on more people, especially knowing that nonprofits are obviously strapped for funds as it is and consultants right. are pricey. And it's like, it's not it's the matter of the business, right? So my thinking is, how do I maximize what I'm sharing? And I've thought about, do I write a book? Do I do, you know, the blog is certainly, or the podcasting and blog is is something, yeah. but thinking about doing small groups and cohorts of training so that there's like, for me, I'm able to make more money based on the numbers. For them, they're able to get more information without having to spend as much money. It seems like a win-win. So I've been thinking about this cohort concept. And as I was reading your book, I just loved what you shared because so much of it resonated with truly where I think is 
what's my exceptional added value. It's not about, you know, how to fundraise. It's about how to communicate. It's about how to relate. It's about the subtle, like the softer skills, I think has been something that I've identified as one of my strengths, as opposed to like, you know, I'm excellent at the donor research or Excel management or CRM management. So it's too bad that your friend didn't want to take you up on the opportunity to contribute because I felt the exact opposite. I felt like this is awesome. I can't wait to talk to Lisa and I'm going to capitalize on her forevermore. And I'm going to say, read this book and check out this chapter. And I'm going to help you interpret that. And this is how it's going to you know, be more effective. So I think more is more in terms of sharing knowledge and advancing this industry. We really need to change the way that we address fundraising. It's not sales. And yes, it's similar, but it's not sales. And it is heart-centric. That's why I still love the word philanthropy because it's the love of humankind. And I get that there's a bad connotation, but I'm like, I'm going to hold strong to it. Good, good. I I, look at, I I I agree. I just think I I don't want to stop somebody from getting into donating or giving because they're, they're intimidated by the word. So it can be an intimidated word. Yeah, but but I think there's a lot of other people who think it's wonderful and and that's great. And so we just have to get the bad mojo out of that word, I think. And that's that's really important. So to your point, one of the things that we really wanted to do with the book is I really wanted to do with the book is is obviously I want everybody, they want to be sort of like the one minute manager was maybe in, you know, a couple of decades ago that it just yeah. came with if you took a business class anywhere, that was one of the books that, that was on the book list. It was just something you did. And I want to yeah. be that book for anybody who's teaching philanthropy or fundraising. Nice. It just, it just, and, and by the way, for boards too, how do a board member should understand what it's like for the organization, the fundraiser. It's not just, let's go. I've heard lots of boards where members will say, just go raise some more money. I don't know what's taking you so long. Yeah. That's not okay. They need to yeah. have an understanding. So, so uh, my vision again is also all of the boards should get it. Every board of a nonprofit, the development team, the executive director, and they should all understand. And that's why it is a serious book because I didn't want it to be just my story and someone to say, oh yeah, well, that was just your perspective. Mm. So we got the perspectives of academics and of other donors Mm. and and other thought leaders. And I wanted to make it really clear that it's not just me. It is not just my experience. The only thing that's different about my experience is I'm willing to talk about it. Mm. And I I was a little more forgiving than I think most donors are because Mm -hmm. most donors wouldn't have waited seven months to give $2 million and, and go through that. Most donors would have, after a month or two said, forget it. I'm going to go somewhere else. So that's where I will accept that I'm very different. But, but other than that, my experiences, and I, you know, for the first year, I tested this, these theories with people about, you know, it, is everybody else having this or is it just me? Is it something about what I'm wearing or my perfume? Yeah. And everybody, every donor I talked to had had the same experiences, really wealthy, sort of wealthy, just getting going, same experience. Age-wise, 20-year-olds to 85, 90-year-olds, same experience. And so the way that I see it is that there is a ship. I'm on a ship or I'm part of a ship that is going straight into an iceberg. And that iceberg is these older, what I sometimes call the 10 white men, but the older donors in their 80s and 90s who actually control a lot of money and a lot of money that drops down into lots of nonprofits that a couple of them pass on and all of a sudden everybody else that filters through and and, and philanthropy is a lot of these nonprofits go bust overnight. So I feel like that's the iceberg. What I'm trying to do, I don't want to turn it around completely. I think there's a lot of good stuff here, but I do want to miss the iceberg. I want to turn the ship. And that has to be done through communicating this sort of new idea of ways of of looking at people and also ways of teaching it. And then I get kind of bummed out when I have a call like I did, another call that I had already this morning, where somebody said, I just took some classes in the last year and they were teaching it that old way and they weren't teaching it this way. And I said, I know that's what I'm trying to change. So so that's, that's why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm surprised to hear that and disheartened as well. So what does a philanthropic revolution look like to you? So the book is, yeah, that's what the book's all about. Like paint me a picture when five, 20, 50 years from now, yeah. the revolution has taken place and what's the, what's right. the world look like? One piece is an image that I have, I've started to share with people is, and you'll see in the book, I, I talk about that. I, I sometimes think that, often think that, that fundraisers think the donors are stupid. And maybe <laughs> it's because they've done things that are not, where they're not listening or they're yelling or they're doing all sorts of things. And that's really unfortunate. And I, and like you said, I think a lot of these people are the opposite of stupid, whether you've inherited the money or, or, or not, but, but you've got some idea of how to handle money. And yep. so I think that's unfortunate. But more often now, I think that fundraisers want donors to be piggy banks. 
And the reason I say that is they'd rather we don't talk back. So I want them to be, they want us to be an inanimate object that's Mm. filled with money and they can just hit it the right way and it'll open up and all the money will come out and they'll take the money and run. In my perfect world, people, donors won't think either of those things anymore. They won't, it won't even cross their mind that that's because when people say we have a relationship with a donor, if that becomes an authentic relationship, then the piggy bank it doesn't mean anything. It's not part of the story. And the being stupid isn't part of the story because you have a real relationship and you think, oh my God, how arcane are those ideas? That's where I would like the world to be. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. So how do you manage that world with the number of donors that a fundraiser has got to manage? So we, we you talked about this in the book. And it's a well-known stat. Unfortunately, turnover is a huge problem. One of the biggest problems that nonprofits face, the sector faces. So 16 to 18 months is the average tenure of a fundraiser at a nonprofit. And obviously you can't maintain relationships that way. We all know that. So let's throw that out. But let's imagine that there's a rock star nonprofit organization that has continuity of the leadership and relationship managers. And then they've got real relationships being built with fabulous board. Let's say it's like you were talking a lot about the Girl Scouts and you've got like 25 people on the board. I, I sit on a board that's also 22 people. And I think it's a really nice size because you can actually maintain good relationships with that number of people. But what about like the fact that you need a lot more than that? So you need to have any, any fundraisers portfolio should have anywhere from hundred to 150 names in it. How do you create high value relationships with that many people? You listen to them. You actually talk to them and listen to them. And I've had plenty of fundraisers say to me, we don't have time for that. And my answer back to them is, you've got to make time for that. Because because just the throwing stuff at the donor and not listening to what the donor is about is not going to work. And that's one of the reasons why it's such an unpleasant experience for a donor, because they have somebody who, in many cases, I've had people sit down with me after meetings that have been scheduled weeks in advance. And they say, so how did you make your money or how did you start donating anyway? I'm like, you haven't done any homework at all. You have no idea who I am. And then they'll just talk to me about how lovely my jacket is. And that's like, (laughs) what is that? So they say, do you really think that I was going to give you money because of that? That's just crazy. And donors are different. And just because we are human, we are not cookie cutter. And just like you and just like fundraisers, they're not all the same. And so this idea of the not listening of just saying, I just want to, I want you to, I want you to shut up, listen to my stuff and give me the money and I'm going to go away. And that has to go. And, but because of that, as you know, 60% of first time donors don't give again to the same organization. Every year, nonprofits have to create 60% more people just to basically tread water. And that's crazy. So why in all of these years of doing it this way, it's been done this way for like a hundred years. Why nobody has said, this is a significant problem. We can't just say, Let's raise more money. We have to say, why is that happening? And if they look at that, they will realize it's because you're not treating the people like humans and you're not listening to them. So my answer is listen to them, find out who they are, why do they donate? And you know, is this a fit for them or not? And if it's not a fit, it's okay to say, got it. Why don't I refer you to another organization that might be more of a fit? I've got some other friends in fundraising. Mm-hmm. That, as far as I know, I've only heard one instance where that was actually done, but all of a sudden you get all this credibility and mm-hmm. and and the, the person on the other side of the table says, wow, you were honest with me. You actually mm-hmm. wanted to help me. You were, I was important to you as a human being. It wasn't just as a cash register or as an ATM. And so once we start thinking of the donors as that, as people, and how would you like to be spoken to mm-hmm. and, and think about that, all of a sudden things will start getting better. Yeah, I've seen that work really well during COVID times where nonprofits are like, we're an arts organization or, you know, I'm working with a preschool. We're a preschool, you know, we're not frontline health providers. We're not alleviating the economic crisis or addressing COVID directly. We can't even ask for money at this point. And I'm like, no, 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 you still need to keep the integrity of your mission. But if a donor says my number one and only priority for the next X number of months is the emergency response, then have your list of favorite emergency nonprofits and guide them that way. They will then feel like they are thinking about the long-term. They care about the community at large. They're strategic. They're partnering with other nonprofits. I mean, how awesome is it when you see nonprofit partnership? That never happens either. Like this silo, zero-sum like mentality, it's just like for the birds. It's not working. 
I, I totally agree with you. And, and, you know, especially new donors, there's a lot of new donors yeah. that have grown up because of COVID and they don't know those rules that people, they're just going to think you're crazy that you're saying, I don't, you know, I'll say to people, to a, a new organization I'm talking to, who's your competition? Who else does, does what you do? 95% of the time, the answer I get is one of the following. Either we have no competition, which you're in the Bay Area, you know, that would never fly with a business presentation ever. Right. And the second is, I don't know. And that's not a good answer either. Yeah. So so I think that we need to really be ready to acknowledge other people. One of my questions I suggest that every donor asks a fundraiser is, you know, not only who your who's your competition, but also how well do you play with others is my way of saying it. Which I is, like that. You know, what kind of sharing do you do with other organizations? And and there's a, a, a story in my blog about two major hospitals in Ohio that got together and actually shared their donor information. These are long-standing institutions. Yeah, and they realized that. that they had a big project that it would it was going to do better, exponentially better, if they actually worked together. And that's yeah. one of those rules. No, no, you never do that. But in this case, they actually did it and it was phenomenal. And that. so that's another one of the rules. It's like if you, I talked to somebody who emailed me who's a fundraiser in New York and and he emailed me one day and he said, I'm, I feel really badly. I, I think I just screwed up. And he said, I haven't been doing this that long. I've been doing it for a few years. And he said, but I just, and it was early in COVID. And he said, somebody just told me that I asked, how are you? And they said, you don't care. And they were going to hang up the phone. And he, it was on the telephone. And he said, no, I really want to know, how are you? How are you coping with COVID? And they said, well, actually not so well. And they explained their story to him. And he said, let me get you some help. I know this organization. And he did that. He didn't ask for money. He hung up the phone and he emailed me and said, did I just screw up because my job is to raise money for this company? And did I screw up by suggesting they go somewhere else? And I said, no, you did the right thing. But he felt so guilty about it. And I thought we need to encourage that kind of behavior. Oh man. I yeah. love that. I love that kind of behavior. Cause like, if we really think about what does anybody work for a nonprofit? It's a terrible business. They do it because they want to create change. They yeah. either want to change the business so that it's an awesome business, right. or they really want to care for each other. So if they are so driven to care for each other, right. that's what the number one bottom line should always be. It shouldn't be a bottom line dollars. If you're really just cared about caring about dollars, go get into sales. That's more transactional. That's more numbers and figures. If you are caring about human beings or animals or the environment or whatever it is, focus on that at the center and the whole dynamic will change. And I think that's important for leadership to hear too is, and you mentioned it in your book as well. Like we cannot have these strict goals and KPIs for fundraisers, especially right out of the gate that are focused on dollars as opposed to contact points or relationships. Right. Or, or dollar and immediate dollars. We want the money now. Go get the money now. That's right. Just- that's, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's funny how many of those people who say we want the money now will also say, oh, we're doing a great job building long-term relationships. Yeah. No, can't have both of those. Yeah. Just little doesn't. by little. I just keep thinking about what you said about sitting down with a fundraiser who is wondering about your life story, but then they talk about your jacket or your perfume or whatever. What do you think it is in the human that causes like I mean, fundraisers are also smart and nonprofit individuals who are working in this industry are deeply passionate and intelligent and they study yeah. this and they take it seriously. They dedicate their whole life to it. I would never undervalue somebody who works at a nonprofit just because the right. system is a little funky and sometimes they've gotten received bad training. But I'm wondering, what is it in the human dynamic that causes that intimidation factor or that like the power dynamic and yeah. how can we shift that intrinsically, even more than just behaviorally, like reframing sentences or modeling how to set people up for expectations. That's good. Like what's deeper at that human level? Well, on the human level is you're giving to this organization. What what kinds of things are you into? Like, what do you, what got you, let's say it's a pet organization. So do you, do you have animals at home or, you know, what was, what was the thing that got you into this? And it's funny because I've asked a lot of board members this, what inspired you to be part of this? when they don't have an obvious connection to the organization. And every single person is so happy to tell me that story. It's a friend, friend, somebody got sick, somebody whatever, or it's my kid. But I have to ask them honestly. And if I do, I'm not asking them as a flip comment. I actually want to know. And if I really want to know, because I'm so excited that you're part of this thing and you've chosen this mission to be also a mission of yours, that's something you want to get solved in the world. I want to know the story. Now, yeah. A lot of fundraisers will say to me, I don't have time to have that conversation, but you know what? They're going to have to figure that out because Mm -hmm. that's how you have an ongoing relationship and how valuable is that person? Because you've got to, that person has more of a chance than not 
of donating once and not donating again. You have right. to preserve that person. You have to realize this is a long-term thing. And I honestly want to know why you're interested in this. And mm-hmm. also to share with them why you're interested as a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. So I, I do recommend that most organizations, if you can, when you're hiring your fundraising staff, hire people who actually do care about your mission because it's hard to fake it. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of fundraisers out there. There's more jobs usually than there are fundraisers. But I also think for fundraisers, you know, if you want to be valued, don't work for an organization where you don't care about the mission, where you're going to stay for 18 months at the most and, and get out of there because it will show through. I, as a donor, will able, be able to see if you're there as a transactional thing or because we both share, which is also gets rid of that power differential. Yeah. We both share this interest in making the world a better place via taking care of animals or some sort of a medical thing or whatever it is. And that is a point where if you can't connect on that, then the rest really is kind of pointless. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think something I've seen work well is where a fundraiser might take the edge off. You know, so fundraisers tend to be people, people and more outgoing, but they still are human and get nervous and anxious, especially if it's like, if I were in, if I were coming to you, Lisa, to invite you to consider giving, I would be super intimidated. You're a powerhouse. You're super intelligent. You've had a badass career. You've made this big book. Now you're on tour. You're like, here's how to do it. And here's how to not do it. I would be intimidated. So I think that if it were me coming after approaching you to engage you, I would try something along the lines of just leading with like calling the elephant out to say something like, Lisa, I'm really impressed by what you've done and what you're doing in the industry. I got to tell you, I'm almost intimidated to like how to approach this, but I want to share with you. I'm passionate about this message and this mission, and I'm here to bring it forward and learn more about if you share that same passion. You know, maybe it's something like that. The way you put that is lovely. I would love that every single time. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I think you're you're reminding me of something that I've never actually put into words. I like meeting people. I'm a social person, obviously. And I I like to actually know about them. I I honestly am interested in them. So, So I think without a kind of unwittingly, I've been breaking the ice for them because they are nervous. And so I'll yeah. say, well, how'd you get into this? And, and what, you know, what things do you, are you involved in? And do you like it? And is it, you know, just things that aren't, I don't say, you know, how much money have you raised? They're just like, this is a difficult world to be in. So why did you choose to be part of that? And that yeah. is really, and if they answer me honestly, well, yeah. I really never expected to do it, but I lost my last job and this looks <laughs> kind of mildly interesting. You know, I, I respect them for at least being honest. But so I think maybe on the donor side, noticing that that fundraiser might be intimidated to sort of just talk to them like anybody, you, you met somebody at whatever, at a bookstore. I like that. Both have the same book in your, uh, there's a, that's really, I, there's a, there's an analogy of it, I guess. If you you could go to a bookstore in real life areas, <laughs> time frame, and yeah. you both have the same book and you're at the register and you're completely different people, but you see you have the same book. Most yeah. people would say, wow, we have the same book. How did you learn about that? And it's very easy to have that conversation. This is the same. Analogy. Both there because you both care about whatever that issue is yeah. and, and have that same conversation. Now, some people would say to me, oh, I couldn't possibly do that because you're a donor and you have more money than me. You know, you got to get over that. It's yeah. like, we're all humans. We, yeah. I happen to have more money at the moment than you do. That doesn't really mean anything. It means that I have, you know, some resources that I can give something the with currency. an extra zero, but your $20 a month is just as important as that. And of course, I don't give that much help to the fundraisers because they should know some of that, but we are sharing in something. And, and that's any kind of friendship or relationship is based on some sort of a commonality. And the yeah. commonality is you're both interested in what this mission is. So when I talk to a fundraiser who clearly is going from place to place every 18 months and doesn't care about the mission, yeah. it's kind of a non-starter. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I love that. Oh, that's great. Thanks for framing that. So what gives you hope then? I mean, you probably are filled with hope. You are you seem like you're excited, you're energized, you've got some tactics and strategies to share with the world. What's inspiring you these days? Really, I have heard from people all over the world since the book came out and and a fair amount since the blog came out, but way more with the book. Well, people are telling me, donors are calling me and telling me that it felt like a, it feels like they're in a uh, support group because they never talked about this with other people because there's that feeling of maybe it's only me, maybe it's something I'm doing wrong. And so they are like comforted that there's somebody talking about it and they've had those same experiences and, and they all of a sudden feel better. So, okay, great. You know, I didn't realize that was going to be part of it, but awesome. And the fundraisers, I think a lot of them are mid-level fundraisers who are afraid to go to the head 
of development are afraid to go to their board and say, we have this new way of doing it. And it helps them. So they get on the program, but they don't know how to go to their board or how to go to their senior people and say, can we try it this different way? And they read the book and I tell them, I give them statistics and I give them yeah. information from you know leaders and academic leaders in this area that they can use that information for their superiors. And then they they very often will call and say, you know what, they let me try it out. And I tried out a couple of these things and they worked. And when I hear that back, I'm just thrilled all over again. And yeah. then one of my favorite ones is I had an organization, I gave somebody a very specific short-term survey to do for, for some of his, a certain uh, category of his donors. And he sent me an email just a few days ago and he said, this was a complete home run. I did exactly what you said. I got a 70% open rate in wow. this email I sent. And people gave me money because they said, and then he wrote this to me, they said that they didn't realize that, I, and, and he wasn't asking them for money. It was just, I want to know this about you, a few things about you. And he said they were so shocked that I actually cared. He actually wrote that. He said they were shocked that I cared and that our organization cared about them. And some of them were so shocked that they said, I'm going to send you money because that's so cool and I want to reward that behavior. That just that. makes my day, week, year, everything. I, I, that's just incredible. So I'm, I'm starting to make the change a little bit. Occasionally, I have had people even who've said in webinars, one person said to me, wrote in the chat in a big webinar, and he said, you must have only been working with small organizations because the big organizations know what they're doing and they're doing it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, that's the pushback I expected to get. You want to just keep things the same, but change is hard and I get it. But even from that person, it was it was rattling him a little bit. And I thought that's good too. So it's, it's doing good, good and I'm getting people yeah. who are saying, Thank you. And people, a lot of those mid-level people are feeling emboldened and feeling like, you know what, I had a sense that there was a better way and you just yeah. gave it to me. And, and then you gave me confidence to now try it or, or go, cool. to, go to my superiors and say, let's try it. And that just gives me all sorts of hope. I love that, Lisa. Well, uh, thank you. I feel the same way. So I'll be one of those people who's read it and felt like inspired and given hope and tools. And I think it's awesome. If there is one thing that you want to shine light on, this is the moment to like spread the good since you've got the platform. What's a thing, person, idea that you want to shout to the rooftops and shine light on? So yeah, I'll do this because this I did this this week. I, I published a blog a couple of days ago about Mackenzie. Mackenzie, um, yeah, Scott, uh, I saw that. And, that was awesome. uh, yeah, and that she did it a different way. She she decided I can do it a different way. I'm going to do it a different way. And she gave away this seven billion dollars. I think it's almost six. Six billion dollars, whatever it is. I mean, over the last year, but whatever, yeah. it's a lot of money. And I saw people almost immediately attacking her online and saying, well, no, she she must have just made these rash decisions and she did it too quickly and she didn't think about it enough and she didn't go. I actually saw some people write, you know, she didn't go through the appropriate process. And I think that there is a lot to learn from that. She did go through an appropriate process for her. She didn't do it in a flip way. I think some of that is a gender issue. I don't think they would have said it if a man did the same thing, but they, yeah. whatever. And she was able to really focus, think about what she was passionate about, where she thought there was a real need and actually go solve that with the, with the resources that she had. And so I just see that is another thing that gives me hope is that people are starting to do things differently. Obviously she is not your normal person you would see every day, but because she's had been, been with this huge amount of money for a very long time, but she decided I want to do it. And you know what? kind of the hell with the rules that you have of how I have to do it. And I'm just, I get to do it the way I want to do it. And I don't care if you don't like it. And she it. helped 500 organizations, 500 plus, I think it was organizations. And that's amazing. So those kinds of things are like, I want everybody in the world to look at that and say, you know what? It, it reminds me of the old Steve Jobs think different thing, their Apple campaign. That's mm -hmm. what we have to do with philanthropy right now. So yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, I, I would totally echo what you said. And I appreciate Mackenzie Scott and how she's, yeah, disrupted sort of the way things are done. And, and it's really showing acts of kindness and random acts of kindness, as you pointed out in the blog too, and that a lot of the organizations didn't know that that money was coming. And how can that delight a nonprofit? How can that embolden them? How can it even if you if you're not a philanthropist and you're just listening as you know a friend of either Lisa's or Lindsay's and you're thinking, well, what can I do? You know, how can I put a smile on somebody else's face? Or can I grab my friend a coffee? Even just something simple that's yeah. just showing forward. You know, no no strings attached, giving generosity and community building. Right, that's right. And the more we do of that, and we think of it that way with honesty and integrity, and how do you actually feel 
it's going to work. And I think it'll almost change on its own with a few little tools I've given, but yeah. I think it will start changing on its own once people realize that, you know what, those rules that you were taught, there may be a little arcane at this point. <laughs> right. Well, is there anything that I haven't asked you, Lisa, that you'd like to share or discuss? Nothing specific I can think of, I guess. Well, you can ask me where to get the book. Where do um, I get the book? And how do we get in touch with you? You can go to lisagreer.com or philanthropyrevolution.com. And you can find all sorts of other podcasts I've done, interviews I've done, that kind of thing, where to get the book. We do have a small bookseller here in LA that was really hit hard by COVID and we made them our official signed book retailer. So they are keeping a stock of signed books. And so you can find that on the website as well. You can also look at my blog and you can email me and I do actually respond most of the time as much as I possibly can. And I love helping people. So I want to be the example for people so that that this, this world can change. And in two years, if people are just doing it differently, I will have considered that a huge success. All right. Bravo. Me too. I'm clapping for you. (laughs) That's a little ridiculous, but I do applaud you, Lisa. This is awesome. I love the book. I love what you're sharing and offering, and I'm so glad to know you. And I'm going to be emailing you soon because I want to follow up with some other questions. Yeah. You said you had some ideas and things too. So I would love to hear that. And I also would love to hear if there's anything about the book that shocked you. So next time we talk, I would love, sometimes people are, usually people who've done as much as you have are like, yeah, I've seen all these stories before, but sometimes people are thinking, did someone really do that? That's crazy. I was shocked and offended by the fundraiser who continued to insist on talking to your husband instead of you. (laughs) I didn't like that one bit. And I would love to talk to you more about like gender and how do we embolden women, especially philanthropists, but fundraisers and, you know, what's that look like as we are really coming into our time here without cutting down men, because I really think men are getting, you know, the short end of the stick in many ways as well. So it's how do all boats rise? So maybe that's the next topic. I totally, I totally, There's a lot more I'd like to ask you about. I'm here. Call me whenever. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Lisa. I'm sorry that we're a few minutes over, but thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast. If you like what you heard, let me know. Send me a message on LinkedIn or write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you're curious about a topic or you'd like to be a guest, let's connect. Go to www.creatingcommunityforgood.com. In there, you will see all of the podcast episodes with beautifully written show notes and hyperlinks to everything that we've discussed. Thank you and shine on. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.